Kia ora and welcome to the Female Career Podcast. My name's Anna Johnston and I work as a leadership and career coach for women. I'm looking forward to sharing with you an inspiring collection of career stories of a diverse range of women of Aotearoa New Zealand. I hope that by listening to these stories, you'll feel inspired in your own career. If you do enjoy the story, please head along to our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we have lots more stories of wonderful Kiwi women and their careers. We'd also love you to subscribe to our podcast so that you have all the episodes at your fingertips. And please do tell your friends and family about it too. For now, though, I hope you enjoy listening to this career story. I'm really looking forward to speaking today with Caroline Rainsford and hearing more about her career journey. Caroline assumed the role of Country Director for Google New Zealand in 2017, and in this role, she's responsible for driving Google's overall business operation and is focused on helping New Zealand businesses grow and transform in the digital age. Prior to joining Google, Caroline served as Marketing and Product Director for Latitude New Zealand, previously GE Capital, as well as Brand Director for their broader Australia and New Zealand region. Caroline started her career with Philips in New Zealand before moving to Dubai to take on the role as Regional Marketing Director for Philips Royal Electronics across the Middle East, Turkey and Africa. Outside of work, Caroline spends her time chasing her two young kids around the parks and beaches of Auckland. She also loves tennis and is an enthusiastic skier. Kia ora, Caroline, and thank you very much for joining me. Kia ora, Anna. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Super. So I'd love to start off, first of all, to take you a little way back. And when you were a child or perhaps even a teenager, what careers were you thinking about or or even aspiring to? To be honest, Anna, I get asked this a lot. And I don't think I was one of those children that had a set career path in mind, which is actually probably proven really useful in, in, in reality that my career has changed tack so many times already. But the one thing that I did absolutely love when I was a child was business. From my earliest memory, I started businesses. I, I, I remember when I was about nine years old, I used to help my mother prepare the Christmas presents that would go to the UK. And for those of you that have got family in the UK, you'll know that back 10 years ago or 20 years ago, you used to have to do all the Christmas shopping in about June and get them ready to go to the UK. And so I used to help my mother do that. And I realized that there was a market in um, supporting this process for a lot of my mother's busy friends, but also doing all the gift wrapping and making all the cards. So when I was nine years old, I started my first company, which was called uh, Design a Gift. And I created um, my own business cards. They were handmade and used to make little invoices and everything. So I've, I've always been very entrepreneurial but love being in business. And I think that was what always carried me through into the world that I'm in in now. And I love supporting great New Zealand businesses. So yeah, I think that's probably the earliest career that I knew I wanted to have. That's brilliant. And I I absolutely can picture the scenario you're talking about. My mum's English, so I had all the family overseas and absolutely to get everything ready in time to, to pop on the ship to get over to the UK. Yes, was, was, was quite full on in advance. We could have done with your services at then. And then, if I'm right, you ended up studying marketing at, uh, at university. What was it about the area of marketing that appealed to you? When I started at Auckland University, I entered into a conjoint degree, doing psychology under an arts degree, and then just general commerce degree. And I think, in hindsight, the psychology has actually been so useful now in terms of understanding organisational psychology, but what makes people tick and how to get the best out of them. But... I think the marketing really appealed because, again, like back to what I knew I loved, 
marketing is in essence really about growing businesses based on great consumer insight and understanding your customer. And so I really enjoyed that. And then yeah, went on to pursue marketing as a career. Super. And that's often a great combination, that kind of psychology with business or psychology with marketing, to have both sides, maybe the commerce and the people side, it can be really helpful. Yeah. Tell me about, aside from starting a business to help wrap presents and do cards, what were some of your first jobs or jobs that you did? One of the things that I often get asked, what were some of the pivotal moments in my life? And one of them that I really clearly cite and I'm so thankful for was that when I was 14, my parents sat me down and they said, look, it's time for you to go and get a part-time job. So I scoured, literally walked the streets locally where I lived and I managed to get a job. Um, I'd done part-time jobs in the school holidays prior to that. But I got my first regular job when I was 14 at a pharmacy. I literally walked in and said, look, is there anything I can do to help? And I started packing the storeroom at the back, unloading all the paracetamol and all the things that the pharmacy needed. And I did that role. I worked there two days after school and every Saturday for over a decade, paying um, paying my way through university. But I evolved in that pharmacy. So from being really good at unpacking orders and stocking shelves to actually becoming the buyer for the pharmacy. And then later on, I had quite a few interactions working on one of the makeup counters for L'Oreal. And so I had interactions with L'Oreal, who was actually who I wrote my marketing thesis with. And amazing experience in terms of interacting with customers but also sales at the absolute core, which I think is such an important skill, not only being able to sell yourself, but also products and services. So, so grateful that I did that. And it's something that I talk to a lot of young people about these days is that it's a, it's, you can't go past getting really good experience working from the ground up. And I still managed to fit in all my sports and everything that I loved. But I'm so glad that my parents encouraged me to do that. And I absolutely loved it. And still very grateful for the people that I worked with and the customers that I had during those 10 years. What for me in doing some of these conversations, some of these interviews has been great for me to hear is that very many of us in New Zealand started fairly early in our careers with part-time jobs around school, around the uni if we went there. And I think it just creates not only a great work ethic, but also a good understanding of the world of work at an early age. The other thing that's, that kind of struck me in, the, in that example that you told then, Caroline, is that you never really know where a role is going to lead. You start doing something and from the ground up and actually then the different learning experiences you can get in a role in an organisation over the course of, in your case, a decade, you have no idea what they might be when you first start out. So a yeah, super story. Yeah, you're absolutely right, actually. One of my customers that used to come in and I used to look after when she came into the pharmacy ended up being my one of my references for my first ever job um, after university. So it is incredible what these opportunities do bring. Absolutely. And then what were the sort of highlights and challenges of the first few years of your career post-university? I was so um, fortunate, Anna. When I first left university, I actually took up the L'Oreal marketing graduate position. And that was from the fact that I'd been able to work with them on my thesis. But I quickly realized that that wasn't for me. It was a marketing organization back in those days that was very driven from Paris. And I wanted the ability to have a little bit more autonomy. And so I actually ended up moving to the graduate position at Philips, which back in those days 
it was the Phillips Tri Nations. So there was an incredible sponsorship of the All Blacks, but also a very successful consumer electronics and healthcare brand in New Zealand. But I think one of the things that stood out for me during that time was that I had incredible leadership that put me in the deep end and challenged me every day. Leadership that I still cite has taught me so much of the way I am, both some things I learned from them or things that I chose not to take from them, just as valuable. That was a really important time. And I got my hands dirty. The graduate roles back 20 years ago weren't glamorous, but I worked really hard. I got some incredible opportunities and I learned a lot. So I think that was really important. Super. And I think that those global companies, yes, sometimes you can feel quite disconnected from the head office, but some you actually, some organisations operate more of a local model. So it's great to hear that you got some of those opportunities and autonomy within Philips. And then your career ended up taking you over to the Middle East. What kind of prompted that move and what did you get out of it? So Philips was an incredible organisation for leadership development and, and also like really curating their talent pool. And so I was in a program at Philips quite early on where they looked for their talent to move geographies, but also functions. And they really encouraged that. And I got, I remember they came to me and they said, look, we really want you to take an overseas posting. And they gave me the options of going to the mothership, so going to Philips in Amsterdam, or taking up this regional opportunity that covered, as you said earlier, all of the Middle East, Turkey, and then all of Africa. And I've always been this huge believer that you should always do things that make you slightly uncomfortable. And I just couldn't look past an opportunity to do that. It fascinated me because it was a regional opportunity looking after teams in many of those countries, but also having a central strategy. I had to do a lot of Googling about the countries that I would be managing. I think in my first week in the Middle East, someone said, oh, we need you to come down and talk about opening up distribution in Djibouti. And I remember going, that sounds wonderful. I have no idea where that is. So there was was a lot of moments like that. But I cite that. I spent five years up in the Middle East. I was living in Dubai, but traveling a lot into markets like Saudi, Iran, Turkey, and, and all the incredible countries in Africa. But I still cite that as being probably the most pivotal five years in my career because I had so many moments where I felt absolutely on my face, both culturally and from a business point of view. But I absolutely loved it and I just learned so much during that time. It was an incredible lesson in people, culture, and then varying degrees of business. Mm, Super. Sounds a brilliant learning opportunity. And I'm interested, places like Saudi, Iran, are not always that easy to travel and work in as a woman. How was that for you? It was really eye-opening. I have to admit that prior to moving up there, I was quite naive about my under like was quite naive in my understanding of these countries. So the richness of the cultures respectively, very different in Iran and Saudi, but the richness of the cultures is just incredible. And and I, I miss them. I miss both countries a lot, actually. I miss the people and I miss the food, actually. But I think I've got this absolutely brilliant memory of going to Iran for the first time. And I was veiled and then and the women wear these trench coats. So we're, we're very well covered. And I remember walking into a room of our distributor in Iran and I was accompanied by a male colleague of mine from Philips. And but I was there, but I was the most senior person from Philips walking into that room. I had to negotiate 
our annual distribution plan. And I remember walking into the room and it was just 30 men. And it was one of the first times in my life where I felt quite confronted by that. What I realized was that if you really leaned in to understanding their business, understanding the market, walking the pavements of Tehran or Isfahan with them, they really respected and appreciated that. And then your voice was actually quite powerful as a female. And the respect that these countries actually have for females is amazing. We perceive it quite differently to what I experienced. After five years there, I was treated like a member of the family, very generous people. And I still hold many of the people that I worked with as good friends today, but very insightful. Even spending time down in Saudi, you know, I used to go into the homes of Saudi women and understand the way they lived and and to understand consumer insight in terms of how we could deliver products better to the market. And I used to always think that the abaya that they wear was so repressive and how could they possibly enjoy this? And then I got to spend time with a young 13-year-old girl who was coming of age because in Saudi Arabia, you get veiled when you when you hit puberty, essentially. And it was such a massive moment for her to go off with her mother to the store to choose her first abaya. And she was quite delighted with, with it. And don't get me wrong, there are things in Saudi Arabia in particular that are very confronting for our society. But there's also a lot of things that are really special about their culture that we don't fully understand or appreciate. So yeah, I loved it. And underneath those abayas is the most incredible clothing you will ever see. I got to see the, the insights to that as well, which was cool. Mm, and I think it, for me, that illustrates so much the not just visiting, but even living in another country and really getting to know the people who live there. Actually, that's one of the best ways to to, to get more perspective, more cultural understanding and, and that really balanced, nuanced view on, as you said, that kind of deep layer of culture as well that sits there. What I also liked there was that yeah. absolutely that, you know, over 70% of consumer decisions worldwide are made by women. So if you're in the kind of consumer electronics or healthcare kind of business, then, then absolutely getting to know the women who might be uh, influential in those decisions, really important. Yeah, absolutely. What then, Caroline, was your, your journey to the role of country director for Google here in New Zealand? Yeah, so I'd always, as a marketing professional, I'd always worked with Google's products and always seen them as being an incredible way of reaching new audiences, building brands and driving great innovation. But it was really when I came, so I came back to New Zealand in early 2013 to work for General Electric, which was a company that I'd actually engaged with while I was doing some healthcare work up in the Middle East. And I came back to New Zealand to work for them and they went through, GE went through an incredible period globally of spinning off or selling their GE capital business, which had become a huge portion of the GE business globally. And I got involved in the sale of the Australia and New Zealand GE capital business and actually stayed on with the new owner, which was a private equity consortium to transform and transition the new business, which now across Australia and New Zealand, consumers or businesses will see as latitude financial services. And so I I got the opportunity to do that transition, which involved an enormous digital transformation project. And I was lucky enough to be able to partner with Google on that. And then I was on maternity leave with my second child, my son, and I got a phone call from a recruiter at Google saying, would you be interested? And I was two months into my maternity leave with my son. And 
I remember that the first thing that came into my head was, I can't possibly talk to a company like Google while I'm two months into my mat leave. And for all the mums that are listening, I think I was possibly in my pajamas. And luckily, something inside me, which has served me well, my inner confidence and inner desire to never say no to opportunities came forward. And I said, yeah, I'd absolutely love to talk to you. I spent the next five months in a lengthy Google recruitment process and then I received the phone call to say that they'd they'd love to they'd love to have me leading the the Google New Zealand business, which has obviously been a huge career highlight for me. But in that moment, they asked me how much maternity leave I would like, and I hadn't really thought about it. I assumed that I was going to have to leave my son and go and pursue this amazing opportunity. And I just said to them, I'd always intended on taking the full year, and without even thinking, they said, "Do it." And so they let me finish my mat leave. So they waited for me for another four months and then I started. And, you know, I'll always be grateful for that. But it tells you a lot about a company when that's their their approach to hiring talent that may be parents. It does, absolutely. It definitely tells you a lot about the kind of the, the family-friendly kind of nature of it or simply the recognition that people do have lives outside of work. The yeah. other thing I really liked about that story, Caroline, was that a lot of women that I speak with worry and going on maternity leave, particularly I have to say after number two, that what happens to my career? Can I still do it? You know, am I just going to plateau now? Can I keep progressing? And your story is a wonderful illustration of absolutely you can keep progressing even after two children. And sometimes even when you're on that leave, you never know what opportunities might come up. Yeah, you're so right. And I actually had a chat to a really talented female last week who has recently discovered that she is pregnant and an opportunity came up in her organization to go for a promotion. And I'm so glad that I spoke to her because she wasn't going to apply because she didn't feel like she could apply and then a week later announced to the organization that she was pregnant. It it nearly killed me listening to it because we do put these restrictions on ourselves in terms of we don't want to let people down and we don't think that it's fair or that maybe we can't do both. But I I think the tide is changing and now there's so many organizations that go out of their way to support this sort of opportunity. But absolutely, we should be able to have it both. And this year has been incredible. Even in the Google team here in New Zealand, I've got two examples of incredible females that have come back from their maternity leave earlier because the flexibility that we are now giving our teams around working from home means that they can continue to be a really involved mother, including feeding their child, and be back at work. And that for me, why haven't we always been able to do that? That for me is such a huge milestone, being able to really integrate what you want to achieve as a mother or as a parent, even in, in the cases of dads, we still have a really phenomenal career. So I'm excited about that. But it is quite funny how it takes a crisis for us to really make meaningful change. I think it does. And I think there was a lot of hesitation around flexible working previously of I'm not sure it could still meet the business needs or what about customers and what about the team environment and that real sort of hesitation, particularly from a business perspective. And then all of a sudden when there was a requirement, an absolute need to do it, it's for so many people to make it work and realise actually, you know, this this works okay. We can trust people to, to still do a good job and sometimes they do an even better job when they're able to do it in a way that works around their life as well. I think it's been, it's 
created a step change in terms of flexible working, which will be interesting to see how that continues on as we go. Yeah, and I mean, we all know that the productivity and economic impact on having more um, females back in the workforce is huge and we can absolutely now make it work. And yeah, so it's great to see you can be an incredible, I see the most incredible examples of women achieving incredible things and they've got a baby sitting in the background, might be sleeping or, but yeah, it's totally possible. And also men now too, which I think is a nice thing is actually, Again, some of that flexible working has mean, I guess, there's only certain jobs that you can work flexibly, but those that, or certainly from home, but those that you can, actually seeing guys taking a, a more of a role in family and taking care of kids too has been great. Yeah, what do you really love about your current work? So number one for me in my entire career has always been people. So I get to work with an incredible group of people. We're now 50, 50 strong at Google New Zealand. And they're an unbelievable um, group of individuals who are all very purpose-led and want to contribute to New Zealand and New Zealand businesses. And that's that's incredible for me to see. I love seeing them develop. I love seeing them being successful. And I love seeing them be so passionate about what they do. So that's the number one for me. The, the second is I absolutely love the platform and the opportunity that I have in this role to make meaningful change. We've been in a we've been in a year of really tough times for so many New Zealand businesses, particularly small to medium sized businesses in this country, who are absolutely the life lifeblood of what we need to achieve as a country. But and now more than ever, when I think about economic recovery, small to medium businesses need help in terms of digital skills and capability. And so a big part of my role is allowing um, or supporting New Zealand businesses to have access to, to digital tools, but also support around their capability and ability to, to use them. So that's really meaningful to me. In fact, just today, we've just announced a partnership with Spark where we're bringing a global training um, platform called Grow with Google to New Zealand businesses. It's a free it's a free training program that we're doing in conjunction with Spark Lab and they, small to medium-sized businesses in New Zealand who are Spark customers can now enjoy training from Google absolutely free on how they should get their businesses online, stand out online, how to connect with customers, but also how to keep their businesses safe online. And that for me is is a huge um, passion point and I think it's something really important. I'm also really passionate about what both Google and myself can do around education in this country. And so that's a really a big passion point for me as well. But yeah, just I think that Google has a lot of social responsibility in New Zealand and I want to make sure that Google invests in New Zealand in the right way and I leave a legacy of truly supporting New Zealanders into what will be a really digital future. Fascinating. And it has been such a step change in the education piece. I know my two eldest kids during lockdown were busy on Google Classroom. And I think it was absolutely it was oh, a journey yeah. for me. It was a journey for them. It was definitely a journey for their teachers trying to figure out how to make it work. But as you said, ensuring that people have access and have the skills, whether it's business or education, to be able to make the most of the digital future is, is fantastic. Yeah. You've talked about some of the, the high points of, of your career to date and the things that you really love about your job. If you look back at your career, what have been some of the toughest career challenges or moments? Yeah, so look, undoubtedly March last year 
was extremely tough. That the Christchurch massacres were tough for all New Zealanders. It was tough being a Kiwi in, in that moment, but it was particularly tough being a Kiwi leading a team of New Zealanders that work for a digital platform. And even though Google or YouTube wasn't, I guess, at the heart of that, there was obviously a role to be played there around how do we think about content and freedom of expression whilst balancing what's right in terms of in terms of people being able to stream horrendous content. So that was really tough. We had Googlers that had impacted friends that we had to that I had to manage through. And there was also a number of the team that saw more content than I would ever wish upon anybody. So that was a really tough period, a tough period in terms of leadership initially. It was also an incredible period. So to watch the way the country responded to that, we got the opportunity to work closely with the New Zealand government and Jacinda on the Christchurch call. And I'm really proud of the way we supported that and have continued to support that and the ongoing movement around that. But it was tough. But yeah, look, we, there were some amazing changes that came out of that were born in New Zealand. So global changes around that now live streaming on YouTube is absolutely a privilege, not a right. And we've put, you know, restrictions around that. We've always had restrictions around that, but we've heightened them. So good things came out of it. But from a leadership point of view, that was tough. Equally, I had some very tough moments in the Middle East. There were some very tough periods in my time when I was actively involved in Iran with lots of conflict and challenges up there. But I think that these moments always bring, well, you learn your resilience and you learn people's resilience, but they always bring so much good. The Google team in New Zealand now is a lot stronger for having experienced Christchurch, but we've also made really meaningful change. So a lot of good comes out of it, but that's certainly tough at the time. And it sounds a tough challenge from a leadership perspective, from a business perspective, and probably also from a personal perspective as well, as you said, you as a Kiwi. Yeah, yeah. I mean, through crisis, yes, you do learn, but but equally that sounds, yeah, sounds very, I can imagine, very challenging. Yeah. And thinking about that, there are tough times in, in our careers. And if you think about the more broader concept of balance and you know, how do you find balance between a very busy, full-on job and your broader life? Yeah, I, it's not easy, Anna, and it's the topic that we talk about so much. I try and avoid thinking about balance. And I've got to a point where I really think about integration. And this year has actually been a huge catalyst of that for me. So I, I now balance, I now integrate my family life with my work life. I've been able to adjust my work. So I'm spending a couple of days at home a week. And during the day, I will just integrate my desires around my children. So for example, it was, you know, only a couple of years ago where I just took for granted that I would never see my son in his swimming lesson because it was during the week. And I just was like, okay, that's just something that unfortunately you're going to have to miss out on Caroline. Where this year, now I schedule my, I, I work from home on a Wednesday. I schedule my diary. I've still got a very packed diary, but I schedule a 45-minute break where I just go down and, and watch him do his swimming. It brings so much joy to him. I love it. And I can still do exactly what I need to during the day, but I just have that opportunity to do it. And, and so I just, I don't feel like I have to choose or I don't feel like I have to miss out on things anymore. But I also integrate things for me. So 
that the team at Google New Zealand know that every Friday morning, Caroline's on the golf course. And that is just where I am. I spend an hour, I spend just over an hour on, on the golf course every Friday um, before I kick into my, my day. And I just think that I've started to really be firm on carving out that time to either do my passions or prioritize my family. I don't always get it right, but luckily I work for an organization that's very supportive of that. And I think very few of us do get balance right most of the time or integration or, you know, whichever way you look at it, I think it's, it tends to be an on, ongoing challenge and one that often needs tweaks along the way. But figuring out within yeah. that, it sounds like you've done, you know, what, what are the things that are important to me to find a way to, to integrate into my week alongside my work and, and making sure that you're really deliberate about, about booking yeah. those in and keeping them sacred. Yeah, that, that's definitely, there's one other thing actually, Anna, on this topic that yeah. I think has been really important for me is that. Years ago, I used to have this belief that busyness equaled importance or that busyness equaled great outcomes. And through a lot of really great business coaching and thinking through this a lot, I've managed to get rid of that belief. And it's made me a better leader in terms of the busiest leaders are not the best leaders. And so sometimes it's actually okay to say no. And it's also okay, like I'm becoming so much better at delegating because I've increasingly realized that I don't need to do everything. And you actually let go. And then that allows you to keep your life a little bit more sacrosanct. So that was quite a big one for me was getting rid of that, that belief that the best leaders or the best managers needed to be really busy. It's just rubbish. The value that I can bring to the team here is not by having a stack diary every day. And I think you're right. I think a lot of us go through life thinking busy equals productive. And I think sometimes there's also that, and I've heard women talking about it as they see the sort of the senior leadership roles as being ever more busy or longer hours, more full on, more stressful as you go up through the organisation. Whereas interestingly, there's research that says actually the more senior you get, typically actually your hours come down slightly because you're able to delegate and have more choice about the work that you do. So I think recognising that being more senior doesn't necessarily mean more busy or more stressful or more full on, that that's a, a great insight too. Yeah, super. I think you're completely right, Anna. Yeah, very good. Yeah. And what, we've talked about some of those, some of those really tough times. What have been some of your proudest career moments? It's probably so many micro moments. I've been really proud that I've put myself in so many different positions. When I came back from, I spent a lot of years in the consumer electronics industry with Philips. And then I completely pivoted to working in finance with GE. And then I pivoted again to coming to, to Google. So I'm really proud of the fact that I put myself in many different situations. And I've said yes to some opportunities that were scary. So I'm really proud of that. But there's so many micro moments that I'm proud of, even just this week. I got an email from an incredible young lady that used to be in the team up in Dubai. And she's now leading an incredible company in the US. And she said, just sent me a note saying, Caroline, I just wanted to let you know that I'm now running this company and I'm putting together huge strategy plans for growth and expansion across the US. And I just wanted to let you know that your leadership and, and your belief in me has always inspired me to want to do more and be more successful. And I think is the measure of, for me, career success. 
I've got another individual that I worked with who was in my team when I was at GE, who's now leading an insurance company as the CEO of an insurance company in New Zealand. These are the things that for me make my career worthwhile. And these are what I'll, these are the stories that I'll be talking about when I'm older. I think that those are probably the, the highlights for me. Mm, wonderful. And I think it's that, almost that kind of personal sense of I've made a difference to somebody's life. I've had an impact in a, in a really yeah. positive way through my leadership. Yeah, fantastic. And where do you see your career heading in the future? The million dollar question. I do not, I do not know, Anna. I think I'm really enjoying the journey that I'm on at the moment. I've got an opportunity in front of me now to spend more time in our Australian business, which I'm relishing and, and really enjoying. And then the world's my oyster, I guess you could say. I am a very, very passionate Kiwi. I do really want to make sure that I continue to make a meaningful difference in this country. Could I take the enormous amount that I have learned while I've been at Google and put that into another company in New Zealand? Absolutely. But we'll see. But I'm also very keen, haven't spent a lot of time on this at the moment, but I am very also keen to pursue a career in governance as well and yeah, support some probably directorships with great New Zealand businesses or, or charities. So that's something that I'll, I'll look to as well in my future. Fantastic and great to hear that kind of proud Kiwi piece. But equally, that is often a step that people consider at a certain point in time, particularly if they've come from kind of a, a, a CE or a country director role as, as the world of governance and maybe contributing more at that strategic future focused level as well. And one last question, what career advice would you have for other women? Oh, so I think the best advice that I can give any woman um, on their career is make sure that you are passionate about what you do. I, I genuinely, and this sounds so cliched, but I genuinely don't feel like I've worked many days in my life because I've absolutely loved every minute of it. And it's so much more than just a job for me. So I think find something that you're passionate about, but also really embrace any opportunities that come your way the more I've realized that I grow the most and I've been most successful in the periods in my career where I am hugely uncomfortable, I do not know the answers and I am well and truly stretching the boundaries of what I thought was possible. That for me is how you really pursue a career that um, you'll be happy with. Um, yeah. Wonderful. And I can hear that passion that you've had for your various roles and your work today shining through. But also there were lots of, of really nice examples that you shared actually when you did feel the fear, but, but jumped in and, and embraced some of those opportunities and, and learned a huge amount through those. Caroline, thank you so much for sharing your career journey today. I've really enjoyed speaking with you and hearing about all those different elements of it. And I really appreciate you sharing it so openly as well. Thank you. Thank you, Anna. Amazing to talk to you. And for everyone listening, I wish you all the best and yeah, look forward to seeing you again, Anna. Thank you. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Female Career Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more inspiring stories of women of Aotearoa and their careers, subscribe to the Female Career Podcast via Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you like to listen so that you never miss a story. You can also take a look at our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we feature the stories. And if you subscribe to our mailing list, you can have career advice and inspiration delivered directly to your inbox. Thanks for your support, and I look forward to you joining us again soon.